house of the Lord this morning. Amen. Amen. Good morning. We're about ready to begin our time of worship together. Praise God. We want to welcome everyone here this morning. Welcome to Pleasant Grove Assembly of God. We're excited to be here. Amen. God is good. Amen. He's good all the time. And we're ready to worship the Lord this morning. Uh, just a, a, an announcement. We've been announcing. I just want to remind again. So uh, we're having a special water baptism next Sunday. That'll be Sunday, October the 18th. It'll be after at the end of our second Sunday morning service. So our 1045 service. So if you're interested in getting baptized in water, uh, we just ask you to pick up an application out in the in the lobby on the welcome desk there, so that we can have a record, and uh, and we'll get you set up, Amen, to be baptized next Sunday. What an exciting time, Amen, Amen. God is so good to us. Well, praise the Lord. How many of you know this old world Amen. is not my home, Amen? He is. This is not my home. Glory. I was yesterday, a young man at work, he said, what's the word for the day? And I said, the word is perseverance. And that's a word that we can all stand on, right? It's a word because I told him, I said, he that finishes the race is the one that's going to receive the prize. Amen. Amen. This whole world's not our home. We're going to make it. Hallelujah. God is good. Amen. Will you stand this morning? We're going to go to the Lord in prayer. We're going to worship the Lord this morning. Hallelujah. We pray and encourage one another. Amen. But aren't you glad that Jesus, our Lord and our Savior, the author and the finisher of our faith, He's seated on the right hand of the Father, and He's interceding for you and for me. Oh, glory. We're going to make it, and it's going to be worth it. Hallelujah. What a good God we serve. Let's worship Him today. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this day. Lord, we worship You this morning, Lord God, as we enter into Your courts. Lord God, enter into Your house this morning, Lord God. We're so grateful for who You are, that You're a mighty God, Lord. Father, we thank You today, Lord God, that we have victory through Jesus, our Lord and our Savior, Lord God. And Father, this morning we lift our worship to You. We pray that you'll minister every heart today, Lord God, that you'll minister to every need, that you'll meet us in a mighty way this morning, Lord. Be glorified, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. No one finds a burning return as well. No freedom from my sorrow I felt, but Jesus came and he listened. He set me free, yes, he 
we love your name. We praise your name. We honor your great and holy name, the name that is above every name. Lord Jesus, we love you. We praise you. We honor you. We thank you for the preciousness of your name, the encouragement, the comfort, the strength that it brings us. Lord, let our lives always exalt you, always boast in you, and always point others towards you. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Welcome to the house of the Lord. If you have your Bibles, if you would go to 1 Samuel 15. 1 Samuel 15. I'm going to start at the very end of that chapter and walk over into the 16th chapter. As we begin a a little short series, some lessons from David's life. And this particular message we'll call Lessons from David's First Anointing or Man Appoints, But God Anoints. That might be another title. And and I pray to bless you, especially if if you are a young person and you have aspirations of being used of God. And I encourage you to jot down these thoughts. I believe they'll be beneficial for you in your pursuit of being used to the Lord. If you would, 1 Samuel 15, and start with verse 35, and we're going to walk on through. Until the day Samuel died, he did not go to see Saul again, though Samuel mourned for him. And the Lord was grieved that he had made Saul king over Israel. Now, chapter 16. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I've chosen one of his sons to be king. Samuel said, How can I go? Saul will hear about it and kill me. The Lord said, You take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Well, Samuel did what the Lord said, and when he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, Do you come in peace? And Samuel replied, Yes, in peace. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. Now, when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab. And he thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I've rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, Nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, Are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered, but he's, he's tending the sheep. Samuel said, Send for him. We will not sit down till he arrives. So he sent and he brought him in, and he was ruddy with a fine appearance handsome features, and the Lord said, Rise and anoint, for he is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. And Samuel went on to Ramah. We want to talk about man appoints, but God anoints. We're beginning a short series from the life of David. David that 
warrior and worshiper. David, a shepherd and a king. He was a mighty general and a beautiful songwriter. He was a poet and he was a prophet. He was a man that we know is very heroic, but also very human. But above all, what's most important, he was a man after God's own heart. That's what God's looking for today. David had three anointings in his life. This first one was private and it was for preparation. It was before his family only. It helped him through all the tests and trials that he would have to endure in the next decade of his training and preparation and equipping to be king. And this morning, we just want to walk through this story and look at the various characters and try to glean some lessons from their lives. The setting was simply this. It was a time of dark disappointment, the day of David's first anointing. The Lord had grieved. He'd regretted that he had chosen Saul, that he allowed Saul to be king. The prophet had mourned over the rejection and the backsliding of King Saul. Saul was the man the people had chosen, but now we're going to see the man that God has chosen. You know, it's good to know that God always has for Himself a man, a woman, a person. Men can fail, but yet God's plan goes on. Men's kingdoms crumble, but God's kingdom cannot be shaken. It endures forever. It's advancing even now throughout the earth, regardless of what we see, regardless of what we hear. It was a spiritually dark and difficult time, yet through it all, God was at work. God was searching and preparing and choosing David to be king, to lead his people. You know, friend, God is at work even in the dark times. When you can't see his hand or you cannot discern his moving, yet faith knows and faith is confident that God is working. So, friend, don't despair if you're going through a trial right now. Hang on to your faith. Um, um, rest fully in your hope that is in Christ Jesus. For we know that all things work together for good for them that love God. And we love God, do we not? Does anyone here love God this morning? We love God. So even if we don't see it or feel it, we know that our God is ordering our steps and our God is leading us and helping us and walking with us through this life. Listen, faithful ones, God is at work in your situation. Even when you cannot see His hand, you can trust His heart. Even when you can't see His hand, you can trust His heart. You can trust His heart. It is said clearly, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies, they never come to an end. They are new every morning. Oh, great is His faithfulness. Oh, bless the Lord. In our text we see the man God had selected to be king of Israel wasn't at all what the prophet had expected. But God's ways of choosing and God's ways of preparing people are different from our way. We'll say it again. Man appoints, God anoints. It was a hurting time in Israel's history, but God had found His man. Again, a man after His own heart. Listen, God is looking for some more this very day. Will you be one? I want you to keep that in your thinking as we go through this series. God is still looking for men and women who have a heart, who have His heart, and are willing to give their lives for His cause. Heaven is asking this morning, who is on the Lord's side? Who will fight the Lord's battles? Heaven is looking this morning for men and women that will stand up and say, Lord, you can count on me. Somebody rise up and be counted. Somebody, the Lord hath need of thee. This terrible hour hath need of thee. Today we will learn from David's life the characteristics that God desires of us if we're to be usable. For He's putting 
His hand on many people right now. Indeed, He's flying over some, like He flew over Saul, like He flew over Eliab, like He flew over that rich young ruler. He flew over Gehazi. But there are many this morning that God is stirring and that God is calling and that God is awakening and God is um, speaking to. And to those, somebody respond to the call of God. Somebody respond to the voice of God. Someone rise up and be determined that the life you have on this earth will not be wasted, nor will this be spent on selfish, frivolous things. But you will give God your best and you will open up your life and say, Lord, use me as you desire. Do what you must do, but make me into a vessel fit for your use and use me in my day in Jesus' name. Number one, lessons from the hesitant prophet. Lessons from the hesitant prophet. Looking at verse 1 through 3, lessons from the hesitant prophet. Now, Samuel, if you study the Bible, was a mighty, mighty prophet. He was one of the greatest, most powerful intercessors and people of prayer. He judged or led Israel for most of his adult life. He grew up in a time, actually, that was worse than the time of David's anointing. He'd been a shining light in a dark era. But now we see that Samuel is hesitant in his obedience. He's a man of God. He's got a proven record of walking with God, being used of God. Yet we see him... In this particular story, he's hesitant in his obedience. Why is that? Let me give you three things that can keep people from obeying the present call and command of God. Number one, he was hindered by the past. You see that in verse one, he's hindered by the past. He's mourning. You see, Samuel loved Saul. He had an emotional attachment that was hindering from present obedience. He loved Saul. His heart was broken over Saul. He had anointed Saul many, many years before. He'd prayed for Saul. He'd counseled Saul. He'd stood by Saul. You see, the past had an unhealthy hold on him. That's when yesterday controls or hampers you so much that it keeps you from obeying and believing and advancing today. Now, whether it's bitterness or blessedness, but really it can work both ways. It can be something that's crippled you or something that's made you complacent. It can be blessedness or bitterness. But God wants to free us from anything that hinders us from a present obedience and a sincere right now devotion. Anything that would keep us from growing and maturing and obeying and advancing in God. God said to Samuel here in verse 1, How long will you mourn over Saul? There is a time to mourn and there is a time to heal. There is a time to weep and there is a time to move on. There is a time to grieve and there is a time to rise up and go. And there is a principle here because in our case, in this story, there is a relationship that is hindering the prophet. Now that is not too uncommon in life. Remember this, when God moves you towards your destiny, He will often remove from you people who are hindering your progress. A change in season often means a change in relationships. And when God does it, let God do it. Let it go. To refuse to do so is to risk your very future in God. Lessons from the hesitant prophet. Number one, we see that he's hindered by the past. Now number two, we see that he's fearful about the present opposition. In verse two, what about King Saul? Now King Saul was a real threat. He's getting crazier and crazier as the story goes. As you know, his jealousy and his, his anger. 
So the prophet says, what about Saul? You see, God's plans will come with opposition. There'll be outward opposition. There'll be inward opposition. Think about that. Outward opposition. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 16, 9, he says, you know, a great door, a great door of fruitful, effective work is open for me, but many people are opposing me. God opened a door and it's a fruitful door, but you know what? There's other people that are trying to keep me from walking there. There, There's the enemy that's trying to hinder me from walking there. So as you go forward in God, not everyone is going to applaud you. As you go to do the works of God, not everything's going to fall into place. There's a fighting of the good fight of faith. Can you say amen? There's outward opposition. There's also inward opposition. Sometimes the end is not so much everyone out there. It's my inability to believe or trust or yield to the will of God in here. For example, Paul said to Timothy, 2 Timothy 1 and 7. Timothy was a young preacher, but he battled with being timid, fearful. He was hesitant. He easily got frightened. And it was quenching his anointing. It was beginning to douse the fire of God's power on his life. And Paul writes, Timothy, you know God has not given us a spirit of fear. And that could be, in your case, a spirit of complacency or a spirit of doubt. But God has given us a spirit of power and love and sound mind. We take note that God's plans often come with opposition. Opposition outwardly, it could be men and devils, or opposition inwardly. When my heart is not willing to believe, my heart is not willing to submit and go and do what God called me to do. But my friend, if God sends you, listen, He'll go with you. He'll make a way. He'll open the way. He'll protect you along the way. But faith and courage will be needed if you want to do the will of God. Faith and courage. Don't be surprised. Don't be unsettled by opposition. Your obedience. Your obedience to the call. Your obedience to the will of God will often be challenged. Will often be opposed. But by the grace of God, if you're willing to believe God, and you're willing to submit to whatever the will of God is for your life, God's grace will be sufficient. You can meet the challenge every time. God will bring you through if you'll simply trust and obey. See, the hesitant prophet was a wonderful, mighty man of God. But he un- the path had an unearthly hold. Sometimes we've got to let things go so we can walk on. Sometimes we have to be honest enough to recognize that thing is still hindering my present ability to love God and serve God and obey God. But then there was the present challenge before him. Because God was asking him to do something that in the natural was dangerous because Paul Saul was a real threat. But yet he had to learn that I need to trust God. And I need to believe God. And I need to ask God for the courage that it takes to obey Him and to overcome the obstacle, whether it be out there or whether it be in here. Number three, we're talking about the hesitant prophet. What can we learn from this life? The third thing was he was unable to see the complete picture. Lord, how can we do this? Saul's going to hear it. Saul's going to kill me. The inability to see how things will work out. You know, people of faith have to obey the Lord in the present Word with a confidence that God won't bail on us in midstream. People of faith have to walk with the light they presently have or they'll never get any more light. That's how it works. You know, some won't budge unless they have the whole plan, unless they have the whole thing. Well, I've got to tell you, usually they won't go too far. Now, that's not an excuse for lack of planning. That's not an excuse for being presumptuous. 
But walking by faith and being used of God means usually being led step by step. There's a progressive revelation. You'll know as you go. It demands a step by step obedience. And so what we need to do is obeying God. Obeying what we know to be God. What we know to be that will. Being faithful with the light we do have. And then the Lord will reveal the next step. You know, it kind of reminds me, it's a true story, that, that um, the animal, that African impala, it's like a deer-like, gazelle-like creature. It's said that it can jump over 10-foot high walls, and it can leap 30 feet. The amazing thing is this little creature can be kept in any zoo with a little enclosure of just a 3-foot tall wall. This is said that the animals will not jump if they can't see where their feet will fall. You know, many times, opportunities and potential and the achievements are quenched and hindered when God's people can't trust God in the present Word, in the present light, and they hold back because they can't see what's coming down the road. But faith gives us the ability to trust God when we can't see. And with faith, we are freed from the flimsy enclosures that try to hold us back from doing God's best and going forth in God. Faith frees us to obey even when we can't see and we don't know how everything is going to work out. It's kind of like the illustration we use about the flashlight. It could be pitch dark, but if you have a flashlight, you have at least three, four feet of light. Now, that's all you're going to get unless you walk in the three feet of light that you have. You won't get any more light until you walk. But if you walk in that light, you'll get three or four more feet, won't you? If you walk in the Word God's giving you now, He'll give you the next Word. If you obey what God told you to do now, don't worry about what's going to happen. Don't worry about that. Has God spoken to you? Has the Lord put His hand on you? Then obey the present Word. And when you do your part, God will unfold the next. Can you say Amen? As if God is saying in these little verses to Samuel, Samuel, just play follow the leader. I mean, you can see it there. Well, what's going to happen? How can I go? The Lord said, listen, you just take a heifer and you say this. Then you invite Jesse. And then after that, I'll show you what to do. I'll show you what to do next. Amen. My dad used to give me my chores to do. And I said, well, what about that? Don't worry about that. Just do what I told you to do. When you get done with that, come see me. I always, you know, don't worry about that. Just do what I told you to do. Have you done what I told you to do? After you do that, then come see me. (laughs) Samuel, let's just play follow the leader. You don't have to be Einstein to obey. You just have to be willing. I know your situation, Samuel. Just do what I told you to do, and then I'll give you the next word. Listen, Samuel, listen. Before I flung the stars into the velvet of the night, I knew you, I knew this day, and I knew exactly what to do. So Samuel, just play follow the leader. Rise up, fill your horn with oil. I have chosen a king, the hesitant prophet. Number two, we see the rejected brethren. We won't spend a lot of time on them. We'll see them throughout this whole series. Um, But but the key, the key here is in that wonderful verse, that verse 7, where the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. 
For the Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward, but God looks at the heart. You know, we're going we're to see next week why they were the rejected brethren. Because when Goliath shows up, a lot of reality gets exposed. <laughs> when Goliath shows up, um, Saul, who was supposed to be head and shoulders above the rest, found out he wasn't quite as tall as he thought, and neither was Eliab. Amen? And the little punky little little brother that they thought was so not even worthy to come to the feast, well, they found out he was a whole lot bigger on the inside than they were on the out. Amen? And we're going to see the rejected brethren. And the point is very simply, it's character before charisma. God's looking for substance before our speech and our style. They didn't have the right stuff. And Goliath exposed that. But let's get to the chosen shepherd, because that's really where we want to hang out. The chosen shepherd. God says, Samuel, I have chosen for myself a king. That's a beautiful word in theological circles. You know, if you're saved today, it's because God chose you. That ought to excite you. That ought to motivate you, man. That this ought to um, bless your socks off. Amen. If you're saved today, it's because God chose you. Amen. Salvation's of the Lord. We didn't choose Him. He chose us. Isn't that right? It's a beautiful thing. And our, our salvation and our service, it, it's been, it's a divine choosing. It's a divine revealing. It's been a divine drawing. It was a divine awakening. God initiates His salvation. It's God that saw us. And instead of rejecting us, He chose us. It's God that saw us. And instead of judging us, had mercy on us. It's God that saw us in our sin and saw us in our waywardness and saw us in our darkness. And instead of walking by saying, who want to know? He says, I desire them. And then He paid the price for them. And then He drew us and He saved us. Oh, if you're here today and you know the Lord, it's because the Lord chose you and the Lord has desired you. The Lord wants you. He sent His Son to shed that blood that He might redeem you and He might purchase you. He sent His Spirit to deal with your heart and to open your spiritually blinded eyes and to bring you to a place of faith and dedication in God. Ephesians 1 and 4, for God chose us before the foundations of the world. Isn't that wonderful? Woo! John 15 and verse 16. These are the words of Jesus. He said, You did not choose me, but I chose you. Isn't that wonderful? And I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will remain and last. And then the Father will give you what you ask in my name. But Jesus, I chose you. What a beautiful, beautiful thought. We love to read and sing 1 Peter 2 and 9, for you are a chosen generation. Amen? Not an accidental generation. Amen? A chosen generation. Oh, it's a beautiful thing. If you're saved today, it's because God chose you. It's because God loved you. And God in that great love revealed Himself to you. God in that great love sent Jesus to die on that cross to purchase you. God in that great love sent His Holy Spirit to speak to you through the Word of God, through the Gospel, that you might believe and come and know the wonderful salvation that you know today. Oh, what a day. What a day. To know that God has called us. To know that you and I have been chosen by God and for God. And it's because of that great love of God, God who is so rich in mercy, that He could have rejected us. How many times we failed and He could have forsaken us. But oh, the great love of God! He doesn't just choose, but in that choosing, He buys us and He purchases us. Oh, what a God we serve. God loved us because He deemed something valuable and desirable in us. He didn't walk by, but He shed that blood and called us by name and drew us to Himself. 
Salvation is of grace. Salvation includes the great choosing of God. But you know, service, serving God, the ability and the places and the measures in which we serve God also includes a choosing. Yet the Word of God gives us some insight into the, the characteristics that God desires in the one He chooses for service. Salvation, all of grace. But on the subject of our service to God, the Word of God has revealed to us things God is looking for in order to really use a life. And if you want God to use you, as we said earlier, if you're a young person and you have a desire in your life to be used of God, then mark this down. Because not everything happens because of accident. There's reasons behind God using and choosing and anointing a life. God said, Samuel, I have chosen. What kind of people does God choose to use? What was it that God saw in David that set him apart? Number one, let's notice that David was a spiritual man. David was a spiritual man. He loved God's name. He loved God's house. He loved God's Word. He loved to praise and worship the Lord. He was unashamed to praise God. One time he danced before the Lord with all his heart and even his wife got nervous. Oh my. He just loved the Lord. He was unashamed to praise God, to pray. He stood for the things of God. He loved the people of God. The Bible teaches us that David was a man after God's own heart. First Samuel 13, 14. When, when God, he rejects Saul, but Saul is disobedient. And the prophet said, don't worry about it. You're rejected. God's not going to be with you because the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. Someone that will do his will. See, whatever God wanted, David wanted. The purpose, the passions, the priorities of the Lord were imprinted on David's heart. That's what moved him. That's what drove him. These are the qualities that God looks for in us. A life in love and harmony with God. What's important to God is important to you. What burdens the Lord burdens you. A spiritual man is a heart sensitive to the things of God. They want to please God. They want to know God. God's will and desire matters more than their own. Acts 13 and 22, the New King James says it like this, I have found David, a man after mine own heart, who will do all my will. Let's look at that in the NIV now. After removing Saul, he made David their king. He testified, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to. I'll tell you what, the Amplified puts another twist on it. Beautiful. The Amplified says it like this, after a man after my own heart, it says, who will do all my will and carry out my program fully. Did you catch that? He'll carry out my program fully. My program. Not his own program. Not men's programs. Not even headquarters programs. My Lord. Who is God looking for? Who is a vessel useful for the Lord to use? Number one, we see in David a spiritual man, a spiritual woman. Those that have a heart for God. Those that love the Word of God. Those that aren't ashamed to praise the Lord. Who love His house. And those who deem God's will and God's glory above their own. If we really want to be used of God, we have to make up our minds, God's will is more important than my will. And walking in that will has the top priority in my life. We're seeking first the kingdom. 
Let everything else handle itself. This is David. This was a man that God used. This was a man that was far from perfect, but God saw a heart that was after God. God saw a heart that was putting God first. Number two, we see that David had a servant's heart. He wasn't just a spiritual man, which is important. He wasn't just a praying man, a Bible-loving man, a praising man, a loving God's house man. But he was a man that was willing to serve and desiring to serve. He wasn't coming to God so much of what he could get out, but what can I give? What can I offer my king? What can I do to make a difference for that which pleases your heart, O God? Let's look at Psalm 89 and verse 20. Psalm 89 and verse 20. He says, I have found. God says, I have found. See, God's looking. God's searching. I have found David, my servant. Describes him as my servant. Describes him as a servant. With my sacred oil, I've anointed him. You know, Jesus was a servant. Jesus taught his followers, be like me. You can wash feet. Put others above yourselves. Be a servant. You know, when Peter, 1 Peter, 5th chapter, those early verses, when he writes to the elders and the leaders of the churches, he says, you need to be eager to serve, willing to serve. Not, not doing this for monetary, not doing this for, for, for pride or some kind of ulterior motive. But if you're in the work of the Lord, there needs to be an eagerness in your heart, not just to be seen, not just to have your way, not just to, you know, no, but, but to serve others. To be a vessel God can use to touch others. The Lord is looking for someone who wants to serve. You see, when God came to Jesse's house, when nobody was noticing, you know God measures you when no one's, you don't know it. See, God said, I found him. I found him. I found, where did he find him? He didn't find him in the cemetery, uh, seminaries. He didn't find him. He, 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 he didn't find him in these places we might look. He wasn't on Charisma magazine. He didn't find him with his own website and business card. He didn't find him out promoting himself. Are you with me? Stick with me. Stick. If you're young, please listen. If you're young, please listen. You've got a long life to live. You can live it where God can use you. You can obey these principles at a young age. You will position yourself for God to use. God's looking for someone to use. God's looking for someone that He can trust. And if we can have a servant's heart and a heart after God, we'll be someone God can trust. Someone God can use. Someone that God can, can take and anoint and use for His glory. The Lord is looking for someone to serve. When God came to Jesse's house, when nobody was noticing, God was watching. And God was measuring. God was observing. He sees how you act at work. He sees how you converse when no one else is there. And he saw David faithfully serving and keeping his father's sheep. Wow! That wouldn't be too impressive for most of us. You mean he doesn't know Greek? You mean he didn't go to one of our finest? God had found a king. Now, man overlooked him. Man didn't even think he was worthy to come to the party. But, but God had found a king. It was a servant being faithful in the little, in the obscure, in the mundane, humble and obedient heart. Serving with a quality effort, just doing what Dad told him to do. You see, God sees in secret. God prepares in private. God molds us in obscurity. And often through the mundane, 
and the things that we would overlook and we wouldn't be impressed with. See, God measures and God promotes because of things that most of the time we're not too impressed with. Because we are caught up in the culture and we don't even know it. But David was found. He didn't apply for the job. David was found. And God took him from the sheepfolds. And promotion came to the young lad that was just being faithful and teachable and available. But remember, in private places, in secret service, does God observe and measure us. David was a spiritual man. David was a man that had a servant's heart and was willing to serve. Are you willing to serve? Are you willing to roll up your sleeves and do what God needs you to do? Are you willing to stand up and witness when God opens a door? Are you willing to cut out some of your fun time? Because the things of God need to be done. God looks for someone that can serve. Not so much someone that can perform. But thirdly, we see that David was a prepared vessel. When the time came, he was ready. Because he had been faithful. Because of everything he went through in the solitude in the privacy of just serving dad and running after sheep. When his time came, he was ready. Upon the anvil of God's dealings and life's responsibilities, life's challenges, is the man or woman of God formed for service. See, potential must be developed. Character must be tested, proven, and forged before a person can be found as fit for the Master's use. He was a prepared vessel. When the time came, Psalm 78, verses 70 through 72, kind of describes that when God took David, He chose David as servant and took him from the sheep pens. He chose him. He took him from the sheep pens. He took him from the sheep, tending sheep, and brought him to shepherd his people. David, from watching over the, the, the sheep in the backside of the desert, I'm going to make you a shepherd of a nation. Because I watched you, and I measured you, and I've proven you, and I've tested you. And I saw your heart, and I saw your obedience, I saw your humility. David, come on. And the Bible says, finally, when, when, when he got there, it says two things about David. When he led the people, he led them with an integrity of heart, and he led them with a skillful hand. He was ready when his time came. His character was ready. Because God had dealt with his heart, with integrity of heart. He had gone through being picked on by his brothers. He had gone through being the last in line. He had gone through all those things, the rejections of men that can either embitter you or or, or really mature you in the things of God. The Bible says that with integrity of heart, when his time came, his heart was ready for everything else because as we get down, we're going to preach a message in a few weeks, can you stand to be blessed? Because a lot of times people want the blessing until they get it. They want to lead something until they got to lead something. And they found out, I'd rather just go somewhere else. If you're not ready, promotion will kill you. If you haven't been prepared, that thing you think you want won't be as beautiful as you think it is. David shepherded them. Here it is, with integrity of heart and with skillful hands. His heart, his character, his inner man had been proven, matured, and made ready. But his hands, his ability to carry out the function, he was ready. He was ready. Oh, Lord. When David's time came, he was ready. He had been prepared, proven. In his school, what was the school? What university? Keeping sheep and serving dad. Remember, serving God anywhere is never wasted time. 
David in his faithfulness was learning lessons. He was being molded. He was developing skills that would equip him for his future, for his destiny, for his ministry. And he didn't even know it. He didn't even know it. Why is that important? Well, remember what we said at the beginning. God is looking for David's today. Men and women that he can use to inspire, to lead, to carry out his will, to do his works in the earth, to shepherd his people, to rally his people, even to defeat the Goliaths of the present hour. That God is looking for men and women of courage and faith to rise up and take the charge. While others reject and while others hide from the real problems, that God would raise up men and women this present hour to deal the enemy of the present hour. Now, it's going to take a real surrendered life, a heart committed to God. But if we'll give ourselves to God, He'll use us. God trains and prepares His service. Note takers, just jot these down real quick. I want you to see this. And I want you to remember this so that you don't waste precious time that God would want to minister. You know, sometimes we don't recognize the will of God. So we just reject the blessing of that thing. Amen? We don't recognize how God works, so we just ignore what was supposed to be something to bless us. God trains and prepares the sermons, number one, in solitude. Number one, in solitude. In private. At home. On the job. In the store. Let's be Christians. Private preparation before public ministry. Private preparation before public exaltation. It's in solitude that He molds us and shapes us and tests us and teaches us. But secondly, it's an obscurity. It's also an obscurity. You see, God forges. Think about it. And I'll just give you three names and there's many, many more in the Scripture. The, the Davids, the Josephs, the Moses. Where were they made? Where was their school? In the unseen, in the unknown, in the unapplauded places. Yet God was there. And God was forging them into vessels that He could use. I mean, man, David, just a kid, growing in the backside of a desert, caring for dad's sheep. Man, Moses wasn't even his father's sheep, his father-in-law. Got even worse, amen? Even more humiliating. I mean, he's out there. Where's Moses? No, the universities of Pharaoh weren't good enough. God says, I got a university. It's obscurity. Spend 40 years, years in that, but I'll teach you something if you let me. Joseph, obscured, in a place not his own, lied about, being imprisoned here, being tempted over there. But God said, in such a place, I'm going to make myself a prime minister that's going to save many nations. God trains and prepares the servants in solitude and obscurity, in monotony. This is important, monotony. In the daily, in the routine, in the regular. Don't take lightly or lazily the usual or the unexcitable. Sometimes the greatest growth, the most depth goes in something that's very routine and something very common. Because most of ministry is like that. Most of ministry is not the big sensational hip hip hooray. We're going to have a, you know... A quartet saying, we're all going to do cartwheels. Real ministry takes place every day. And I wake up and say, I'm going to give God my best today. 
And if I'm going to teach Sunday school every Sunday, I'm going to be prepared. I'm going to pray over those children. And I'm coming ready. Amen? Every day. When I feel good, every day. When I have a headache, every day. Amen? But there's something about being faithful in the daily. Your daily determines your destiny. Your daily determines your destiny. Solitude, obscurity, monotony. <laughs> you know, Brother Sam, Brother Sam Bowden, he got a big promotion this last year. He's over an entire region of the, na- uh, of, the, uh, of the world for our missions. Okay, there's a whole section that he's over. And I must have heard him come by the office, his office. He got an office next to mine. And I must have heard him when I was writing down obscurity. And I chuckled because I remember in his early days, I forgot the, the country. I thought I was thinking um, Taiwan or Tibet. And it was Laos, Laos. Can you imagine that? That's not just a foreign field. That's another world. Amen? That's not going to Europe. I'm telling you that right now. And I went away. I was joking with him. I said, man, I heard you. And I, I, could have, I thought about obscure. Now, that's obscure. I said, nobody was asking your opinion then, were they? He laughed. He goes, you're kidding. Six years. My, my, my overseer didn't even come and see me. For six years, just me, Shelly, and our babies. That's six years place like Laos. Can you imagine that? That's obscure. Now, now, he's, now he's interviewing all the missionaries that go out. Now he's on all the committees. I said, but he's somewhere being proven when he's in his 20s. Somewhere being proven in his early 30s. Somewhere being forgotten by everybody except God. But God was watching. When no one had time to visit, God was observing and God was preparing. And now 25 years later, he's got something to pour into those kids. He's got something to say to those youngsters that are starting their pursuit of God. In solitude and obscurity and monotony. And in reality, don't forget reality. Because, you know, obscure doesn't mean sheltered. It's where you learn to pray. It's where you learn to overcome the tempter. Battle must develop us before it can promote us. It's out there praying that baby through and that fever don't want to break. It's dealing with that boss that has a real attitude against you and you don't know why. See, they just because in a sense it's obscure doesn't mean there's not some real things that are going on. Amen? And there's not some real challenges that you have to face. But God allows those things to develop us so we can use our spiritual muscles and get stronger. He'll allow a certain measure of the tempter to try to attack us so we can develop the ability like Jesus. It is written. It is written. It is written. You see, for David, and you're going to hear about it next week when he goes to fight Goliath, he's going to talk about he wasn't alone. Backside of that desert, a lion showed up one time. Then a bear showed up another time. And he had to learn to trust God with a lion and a bear. That lion and the bear, that wasn't just the, the hindrance of the enemy. That was the opportunity of God for His servant to grow in faith and to grow and develop and to be able. Lion and bears weren't hindering their divine appointments to prepare and promote. And so as you're there in solitude, feeling a bit obscure, going through the daily routine, there'll be some reality. When those things come, don't let them frustrate you. Don't just see them as necessary evils. See them as opportunities to use your faith. To pray through. If you can't pray through there, how are you going to pray through for someone else? When the temptation comes in that little thing, if you can't overcome then, how will you overcome later when it's much greater? Oh, God. 
Isn't God good? Man appoints, but God anoints. And God is looking for Davids today. Men and women that He can use. People with hearts for God. Willing to serve. Ready to fight the Lord's battles and carry out the Lord's program. Now it will demand, it's going to take a surrendered heart and a fully committed life. But may God find it right here in us. May God find vessels right here in this service. Oh God, use us, we pray. Will you make yourself available? Will you be willing for God to prepare and to train, to develop, and to use your life? Now, as we close, first things first, if you're within the sound of my voice and you don't know Jesus, you don't know if you were to die where you would spend eternity. Or you once knew Christ and you left, you strayed. Then right now I want you to take this opportunity and say, Lord, Jesus, I'm coming to you. I'm giving you my life. Forgive me of my sins. Wash me in your blood. Jesus, I love you. I'm going to serve you, Lord. I'm turning from the past. I'm turning from that which is grievous to you. I don't want to be like King Saul that you reject and regret. I want to be like a David that you can see your heart in me. So if you're within the sound of my voice and things aren't right before you, between you and God, right now, ask Him. Lord, come in. Lord, I surrender. Lord, I'm sorry. Lord, I'm making a fresh devotion now in Jesus' name. Now for the others, let's offer ourselves to God. Let's offer ourselves to God to be His Davids in our generation. Amen? Whatever time we have left, let's be His vessels that He can use. Amen? And then we'll pray for needs. Let's bow our hearts. Father, we thank You for the insights we have gained through this story. We offer ourselves to Your service. Use our lives in these last days. Do what You must, O God, to make us ready trustworthy servants that you can anoint and use. Father, open doors of opportunity that we might carry out your program in our world. Lord, we make a fresh surrender and commitment to you. And we ask you, Lord, for a fresh filling and a fresh touch of your Spirit right now. And now, Father, we pray for the needs of the people. Lord, whether they be here in the sanctuary or they're watching at home. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for the needs of your people. If there's someone that needs a physical touch, a healing touch, Father, let your healing power flow. Father, in the name of Jesus, let your healing power flow. Those that are hurting, let them be whole. Those that are wounded, let them be healed. In the name of Jesus, oh God, let your healing virtue flow. Grant a fresh impartation of life and grace. Father, for those that might be battling and feeling a heaviness, Lord, let that heaviness shatter. And let the joy and the peace of God just fill them. Father, I pray for those that maybe they're struggling financially. Lord, you're our provider. Lord, make a way for your people. Lord, meet their need. Lord, bless them in that financial realm. Meet their needs. Father, for families, let your peace fill every home. Let there be a joyful spirit in every home that calls on the name of Jesus. Father, I pray for these dear ones. Father, for every decision, give them wisdom. For every challenge that they must face in the coming week, let a measure of faith be deposited, a promise awakened. Father God, stir up 
the fight of faith in each one of these dear people. Use them mightily and give them the victory. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you on Wednesday. Please don't forget your offerings in the back as you go and watch your distancing. Lord bless you. See you on Wednesday.